0: You're listening to Better Fishing with two bald biologists sponsored by the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. I'm Corey Oakley, the Assistant Chief of Fisheries Management for the Inland Fisheries Division.
1: And I'm Ben Ricks, Coastal Region Fisheries Supervisor.
0: We are fisheries biologists who are avid anglers. We want to link the work we do as biologists to your fishing. Our goal in this podcast is to use the information we have as an agency to help you catch more fish and learn about our state's great aquatic natural resources.
1: Okay, guys, we are back, Corey and I, and we've got a special guest today. He's one of our biologists, Seth Mico. Great guy, Piedmont biologist. You guys may have uh, seen him out on the water. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Lake Jordan and largemouth bass. Corey and I were recently at a Red Quest. It was on Lake Norman, Major League Fishing event, but there was still a lot of talk about Jordan at that event, a lot event. to talk so, about. Jordan, yeah. very, popular, very fishery. popular fishery, very popular fishery, sure. very popular bass fishery, very popular crappy fishery. But today we're going to talk about bass, and and we've brought in the ringer to talk about that today.
2: <laughs> Introduce yourself, man. Hey, so I'm Seth Michael. I am the District Five Fisheries Biologist here for the Wildlife Resources Commission. So we manage everything, basically from Greensboro over to Durham and up to up to Virginia, all the municipal lakes through there, and. Jordan Lake being our largest reservoir. So quite a few lakes in that area. How many lakes is that? Twenty four. Yeah. Twenty four small reservoirs. That is a lot of water. Speaking from
1: a biologist standpoint, that's a lot of reports and surveys to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can remember so that's where I started as well. So Seth and I have that in common. Yeah, it's a lot of water to cover because when you're trying to speak to it to anglers, you better have been there in the past four to five years or, you know, it's pretty worthless to them. So you're busy as the District 5 fish biologist because not only are you doing that, you're doing riverine work, you're doing Eno River work, you're doing a lot of vegetation work. We won't go down that road, but but Seth's a busy man.
1: What I just heard is that's assistant chief of country. So we're expecting
2: big <laughs> things for Seth, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm not
0: saying that.
1: I don't know about all that.
2: <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm pretty new to the state of North Carolina as well. I grew up in upstate of South Carolina. So we I, won't hold that against you. Well, some might, but we it's won't. Still, Carolina. It's still, yeah. Carolina. Still, <laughs> Carolina.
0: Their barbecue is not. Their barbecue is definitely not. We could go down a yeah. million roads with that, but yeah, he's one of us now. He's been here long enough. <laughs> he's good people's. He's good people. So, Seth, we hear a lot. Like we said, we were at Red Crest, and we hear a lot about Jordan Lake. And it seems to be the past, maybe two to three years, that largemouth at Jordan has really kind of exploded, at least in terms of big fish that you see being caught, that kind of thing. Kudos to you for good management. I mean, that's all I can say. I mean, it's just a great fisheries resource manager right there. But yeah. but what do you attribute that to? What, In your
2: mind, what do you think that is? Yeah, well, there's a lot of nutrients flowing into Jordan, right? It's a lot of urban inputs there, a lot of different nutrients flowing into the lake. So, the, you know, the base of the food chain is, is elevated from those those nutrient levels there so I think that's a step one at that Jordan is having that solid base of the of the food web
0: yeah I tell people all the time it is if you're gonna claim a fish factory in North Carolina Jordan Lake is the fish factory it does grow a
2: lot of fish yeah so it's got a a solid base of food just for every fish in the lake all the shad have stuff to eat and it just moves right up the line so the more shad eating even plankton out there in the lake and everything like that. So it just cascades up. I think the trophic cascade, if we want to talk science, it's a fancy is, biologist Ooh. word right there, is strong at Jordan Lake for sure, especially right now. So
1: you said shad.
2: I've only been on the lake one time. It was in
1: association with the podcast last year. Is shad the dominant forage there?
2: Yeah. Gizzard shad and thread fin, probably lesser so on the thread fin. Lots of gizzards and a good bit of thread fin. Gotcha. Because that's
1: what bass anglers want to know is, if I'm throwing something tied to the end of the string, what does it need to
0: look like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of other things, too. There's yeah. a lot of sunfish that live there, sure. that kind of stuff. But, yeah, the bulk of it is gizzard and thread fins. I mean, the work we did 15 years ago kind of bore that out in the surveys that we did. You could see that it was... Mainly gizzard with thread fins thrown around. You know, yep. thread fins come up and down percentage wise, but it was
1: mainly a gizzard shad fishery for sure. I'm going to throw something white with a greenish brown yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Sounds like my plan. Or at least that's where I'll start.
0: Yeah. You might be successful. You've been known to catch a fisher too.
1: Hey, that little white straight tail worked pretty good when we was catching the crappies. So
0: caught the pee out of crappies. So I will attest to that. So, We've seen this, it's probably not an expansion of the population, but we have seen some fish get bigger. Like we've seen some 10-pounders that we probably, at least more consistently, that we didn't see, at least when I was in District 5. We did not see a lot of those fish. It was consistently really good largemouth. When I say really good, it was consistent three, four, pounds fish in a lot of places on the lake. Yeah. But, you know, now we're starting to see more 8s, 9s, and 10s. What do you attribute that to? Just good
2: luck? No, that could be a strong year class coming through right now. So, uh, there was a drought that would have been, what, the late 2000s? Yeah, I think that was 07, 08, 09, somewhere in there. Yeah. I can't remember. I know when you're talking, Yep. So, those drought year classes might not have been as strong as the subsequent years right after that drought? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And maybe that's the fish we're seeing now are those like, I got 2010 you. to 2013 year yeah. classes you know, recruiting to those.
0: That makes sense to
2: me. I was hoping Seth was going to say, well, you know, I started X number of years ago, (laughs) and so
1: it's pretty much me. I did it, you know, good management.
2: Good management.
0: That's what you would have said. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. But anyway. (laughs) So now that that's happening on the lake, right? A lot of people will say that Jordan, I mean, we interviewed anglers at Red Crest. Pretty much... That was their number one lake in North Carolina was Jordan Lake. Yes. Yeah. Not from North Carolina yeah. saying, I like Jordan. Now, granted, they have just fished Jordan in the past two to three years. Yeah. And they had a really great showing when they were there. Yeah. But we hear that a lot. We hear that Jordan is the
2: best largemouth fishery in the state. Would you say that that's true? What do you think? Fishery in the state? I don't know. Some of the coastal rivers are probably up there as well. <laughs> we're not giving out those secrets yet but reservoir in the state it's got to be it's got to be number one yeah i would agree with you i mean there are other good fisheries so
0: and we can sit here and name all of them but high rocks a good largemouth yeah. bass fishery yeah falls lake is a decent largemouth bass fishery. harris reservoir down just south of jordan has historically been known as one of the better ones in the nation you know it's Kind of had a little bit of a downturn, but it's still a really, really good fishery.
1: I think right now in North Carolina generally, we're pretty blessed. I mean, we've got a lot of fisheries that are kind of hitting a pretty strong note at the moment. Yeah, I will say,
0: Seth was right, coastal largemouth bass populations are pretty strong right now. It's not the reason that they're strong, but there's a reason why those other ones aren't as
2: strong. And What would that be, Seth? Harvest, I mean... At our smaller reservoirs, we're just, we're lacking harvest, and
0: that's not where I was going. Where are you going?
1: That is (laughs) a reason that can cause growth rates to slow.
0: no, it's great. Yeah, I agree with you. In the municipal reservoirs, you think about places like, I mean, we'll throw them out there. You think about places like Grand Mebane Lake over in Mebon, which Mm -hmm. is in District 5, or some of these other smaller municipal reservoirs, you know, they get a lot of pressure. Even if it's not harvest, they get a lot of pressure. Exactly. Your success rate at those places can be lower because it is such a much smaller body of water, but yet there's still a lot of people. I mean, I go by Grand Mem Parking Lot on the weekend and it's packed in the springtime. I mean, there are a lot of people on that lake and it's not a very big lake. Yeah. So I totally agree. Even if it's not harvest related, it is at least pressure related that your success is not as good as, as it could be in other places. No, the, the thing I was going to, and we don't need to go down this road because we've done it on other podcasts, but if you look over at the Catawba Basin and some of these other basins, the introduction of Alabama bass have had a huge impact on largemouth fisheries. And those fisheries that we just talked about that are really good right now don't have Alabama bass in them. Yeah. And we would like to keep it that way. That's because right. if Alabama bass get there, we probably aren't going to have great largemouth bass fisheries anymore in those places because eventually that Alabama bass is going to take over. Yeah. It seems to be the case whether it be clear water or dirty water. Exactly.
1: There's only much only so much room in the bass pie. That's right. And if we want an all-largemouth bass pie like we have on Lake Jordan,
2: we need to keep it that way. That's right. I grew up watching that happen, you know, the yeah. early years at Greenwood and some of those lakes. I, I lived through that, so I haven't fished them in like six or eight years now but i hear they're a totally different like than what i grew up fishing and yeah. weights are are going down across the board
0: so yep they are detrimental to our largemouth bass fishery so please keep them out don't move them to those places that we talked about because we well, don't move them period but really don't move them to yeah to these other places don't be afraid to harvest it's also them. also but... the blue light special has been and i have talked about before it is illegal to do so and if you get caught you will receive a ticket yeah you hold one, as I had the enforcement agent <laughs> tell me one time. You hold one. So, back to Jordan. In your survey, so for those listening that don't know what we do, we go out, we use the electrofishing boat, we go out and we shock these fish. They come up to the surface, we collect them, all that kind of stuff. At Jordan, is that in the numbers that you see in the data that you collect? Would you say in your mind, by what you see, that it's one of the better bass fisheries? Anglers think it's one of the better
2: bass fisheries, but are you seeing the same things that anglers are seeing? Yeah, we're seeing really strong year classes across the board. And not only, you know, do we have the giant fish at Jordan, like the anglers catch, but you know, those three to five pound fish, there's a lot of those in Jordan as well. So, yeah. I mean, as a
0: fisherman...
1: If i can fish for three to five pound fish and then occasionally catch one bigger all day long you can sign me up for that
2: yes sign me up on that one i want to go on that trip yeah because some of the smaller lakes you know they might have a bunch of big fish but you know they might not necessarily sustain big fish and the the intermediate size classes So
0: now when you're doing your surveys because you're doing unless you've changed since i was there and it's been a while since Mm -hmm. i've been there for sure You normally have sites all over the lake, right? That you're sampling. So, for those listening at home, are there places that bass seem to be better in? Like there's more of them and they're more abundant in these places than
2: they are in other places? Or is the lake as a whole just like bass heavy? At Jordan, we're always sampling in the spring, of course. So, the creeks anywhere past the causeway seem to be more abundant with largemouth in the spring. Yeah. I think that'll change. As the water heats up, but you know, when we're there in April and early May, you know, all the creeks, especially if the water's high. So and, they tend to be like in Beaver Creek, Little yeah. Beaver Creek, White Oak Creek. Yeah. And then down near uh, Pose Ridge. Okay. So they do. That's not a huge inflow there, but. Yeah, but Pose Ridge, Robeson Creek up the river, yeah. that kind of area.
0: Okay. Well, now, do you see them, well, area we hadn't talked about, but do you see them like upstream of the Farrington Road? causeway as much or because that's a lot shallower habitat up there
2: yeah it is you would think there'd be more up there but we didn't have as good catch rates up there in 2021 gotcha I'm, i'm not sure if that's typical for jordan that was actually my first largemouth survey at jordan so for me that's exactly what I saw. What you just said is the same thing I saw
0: 15 years ago, that the creeks in the spring of the year, those creeks that you named yeah. just had loads of fish in them. But if you got upstream of Farrington, it turned into a carp festival. That's right. There was carp yeah. everywhere. I mean, you can hit the switch and the common carp just like, the water yeah. just explodes with common carp. And there's like, you can stand on the pedal all day. Yeah, It's run by pedals, folks. But you can stand on the pedal all day and you might see three or four largemouth all day if you stayed up above the Farrington Road, and, and it was really weird. Yeah, like, it doesn't look like bad bass habitat. Like you, it's got standing timber. There's, and I mean, and Kelly Jordan was way up there. You know, one of the MLF anglers was way up there. And now, granted, the lake was flooded. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a lot higher. He was way up New Hope Creek, and he, he was wore them. Out. So you can
1: catch a bass in a carp festival. Is what I just yes, learned. You
0: can go to a carp festival and find a bass. Yeah, he found a bunch. But for us, we just don't see them. Like it takes hardly any effort at all. At least when I was doing it to catch them in the creeks. But up there, I don't know if it's the gear is not good enough or. If they're just, I just don't think they're as abundant up there. Yeah, I don't
2: think so. And he
0: was fishing on. Kelly Jordan was fishing on a very weird moment. I mean, yeah. like that lake normally doesn't do that in the spring. So he just caught it at the just right time, capitalizing on that situation. He absolutely. I can't remember. He caught like what was eighty something fish in one round. Yeah, it was. And a he lot. probably didn't move a hundred feet.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's awesome as anglers when you can do that. If you can do that in a tournament, it's like. That much more magical.
0: And back then, it was every fish counted, you know, with that group with Major League Fishing. It was every fish counted. Well, every fish over a certain weight. Two pounds, is that what they went with? He was just wearing them out. I mean, it was
2: nuts how good he was wearing them out. Yeah.
0: That's interesting that you've seen some of the similar things. Yeah.
2: And there's a lot of silt up there, too. So I don't know if they're, you know, in the spring of the year, they're not looking for that substrate, maybe. Yeah.
0: So once you get out of the spring of the year, you fish that lake and you fish for bass more than, Probably anybody I work with, because you're a heavy yeah. bass angler, if you want to learn how to catch a bass, call Seth. Don't call me. <laughs> a three-pounder, not a six-pounder. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. The
1: bass fishing biologist. Corey and I fish, but we fish for a host of different stuff.
0: I fish for really anything. I mean, I will go bass fishing, but that's not my bread and butter. <laughs> it is Seth's bread and butter. I mean, Seth yeah. kind of eats, sleeps, and breathes bass fishing, so he loves it. So after the spring of the year, what are those fish doing? Or those? Where do you think those fish go?
2: Yeah, so I think once it gets hot in the middle of summer, they're as offshore as they can be on that lake. You know, they want to... So they're getting as deep as they can get. Yeah. And still have oxygen. Yeah, especially if the water falls out, you know, when it, when we get a little bit of a drought in the summer and the water water comes off of the, the water willow and mm-hmm. stuff in the shallows, I think they'll get off into that 8 to 12 foot zone, which is pretty deep for fishing on Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: the average depth there is probably only 15, 16 feet or something. Yeah. I don't even know, but it, it's not very deep lake. Yeah. Cool. And so I hear
2: the standing timber used to be really good in summertime. Yeah,
0: the standing timber, I mean, that lake's been flooded since 82, so standing timber is just a stick now. You yeah. Know, it's all decayed and kind of rotted away, even though there's still probably fish that utilize it. Yeah. It's Probably not as good as it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, I was born in the 80s, and I'm not as good as I used to be either. <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I did a bunch of surveys out there because we surveyed it a lot when I was in District 5, for sure. I'll never forget. It was me and another coworker. We were going, and I don't even know the name of the creek. It's on the west side of the lake, and it's real tight. It's up by the oh. Parker's Creek boat ramp.
2: Yeah, I think that... It's got the causeway in the back of it, all the yes, riprap It does. I think it's Parker's Creek, actually. Yeah. No,
0: no, it's not that one. It's the one downstream from that one. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. We went in there and we were it's just downstream. It's the creek that the mouth is just downstream of the standing timber in the main lake. So if you know where that creek is, oh
2: yeah, right on the left. It's got like a dog leg in the yeah, back. It's got of a dog it. leg yeah. in the back. So I don't know the
0: name of that. Creek. There's somebody right now going quit. <laughs> Stop
1: talking. Stop talking.
0: When we made that dog leg, we didn't actually make that dog leg because there on the right is like this embayment. Yeah, and we go back in there and we've been fishing. We were rolling fish, you know, one here, two there, one here, two there, that kind of thing. And I was driving, and the guy that was working with me, his name is Brian. He was on the front of the boat, and we, and the embayment's not, the mouth of it's not much wider than a couple of boats wide, and then it widens up once you get back in there. And we make that turn, and there's some timber laying down, you know, blown over timber laying down, some grass, that kind of stuff. And we get back in there, and he steps on the pedal, and I have never seen that many bass in one place. It just erupted with large, large mouths everywhere. I mean, it was so fast and furious for about about five minutes. Yeah. And then we got them all because it wasn't that big of an embayment. But uh-huh. I just was so impressed with that much biomass of bass. That many big fish in yeah, one spot. It was big fish. It was like, you know, there was three, four, five, six, sevens, just one right after the other just rolled up around and they get stunned basically and they can't move. We all know that, but I'm just telling people out there that just where they can't move until you dip them up out of the water and then they recover. But... I was just so impressed, and, and that's the thing about Jordan that kind of sticks in my mind. Of all the years I worked there is just this amazing ability to grow large fish no matter what the species was, other than stripers. It never yeah. really grew stripers because it yeah. got too hot, but if it's a catfish or if it's a crappie or if it's a bass— it just grew large fish all the time. And it goes back to what you talked about. It's just, there's so much forage, there's so much nutrients getting into the system because it is an urban area now. Yeah. And then that turns into all these shad that are swimming around, which then turns into all these predators that are swimming around, you know. And I've just always been impressed with how great Jordan is at growing fish. Yeah. And it never seems to stop. A lot of lakes kind of go up and go down and we've had some fish kills that have hurt crappy and that kind of stuff but in general it's always been a solid fishery whether it be bass or crappy or whatever it's just really a good place and in the light of human pressure too it gets a lot yeah. of people fishing on it it's probably one of the most fish reservoirs in the state i wouldn't say it's fish like norman yeah. but it's it fished a lot because it's near the triangle yeah it's very popular but yet it doesn't seem to slow them down at all. They just seem to keep on trucking. I got
1: a little bit of a question. I'm hearing you guys talk about Jordan, and I'm comparing it in my head to other nutrient-laden fish factory lakes. For instance, Falls is right over the hill. So what is it about Jordan that's really setting itself apart? Like what's, you know, Falls, they drain very similar watersheds. They have similar nutrient loads. I mean, while one's a noose drainage and one's a Cape Fear drainage, they're very similar. So, what do you think is, not that falls isn't, I mean, falls is strong too. Yeah. But it seems like Jordan, at least right now, is edging falls out.
2: What do you think's going on there that's doing that? Jordan probably has a little more spawning habitat than falls does. It's a lot flatter. So, you know, right around Ebenezer, if you put in an Ebenezer, all those... Those flat banks back there towards Beaver Dam and over towards Vista Point, all that flat water back behind Vista Point, there seems to be a lot more areas for largemouth and crappie both to spawn in the spring. So I think Falls has a little less of those flat pockets and just, you know, shallow water for vast expanses of a couple hundred yards. So, I mean, to me, from a biologist, they're spawning, they're doing fine. But
1: from a Fishing standpoint, what you're talking about is very appealing because I don't have to hunt. Yeah. I have this vast area where spawning can take place versus, well, there's some, a couple beds over here and a couple beds over there, and I got to run 20 minutes to get to the smaller spawning areas that I have. If you're saying there's this big flat
2: and then during the spawn, I can run down it. Yeah. That's appealing to me. Yeah. And then within that flat, there might be one boulder or one little stump. There's a lot of stumps that have, The tree is rotten away and there's just one stump. So, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of target-rich environments there as well. I would follow up with that. I agree
0: with Seth. There's probably better spawning habitat on Jordan, even though there's listeners out there going, well, it's all over Falls Lake. There is truth to that. You know, both of these lakes in the upper end are silted in pretty well. I mean, they're really shallow. You get up in Morgan or New Hope Creek pretty far up on Jordan, it's pretty shallow. It's hard to get to. Same with falls. You get you ain't even got to get to 85 before you get to 85 it starts getting really shallow really filled in the one thing yeah. that you said same watershed same i would probably disagree with that a little bit i think there's probably more nutrient flow coming into jordan than falls it is a bigger watershed you got the entire hall river that's coming out of greensboro you also have new hope and morgan creeks that are coming down into the lake coming out of durham so you get a lot more nutrient flow than say the eno and the flat which is Draining a lot less area. So, I think they're similar for sure. Sure. But I think Jordan probably has a leg up on that nutrient flow because it has a little bit bigger watershed. And I think that has kind of borne out if you look at the numbers and the amount of fish. It bears out with the crappie fishery. I mean, that's really where you start seeing the differences. The largemouth might be somewhat similar, but the crappie fishery is definitely different. You get bigger crappies at Jordan than you do at falls in general, on average. Falls is actually borderline stunted at times, you know, the the crappy fishery is. And that kind of tells you that we're probably not getting the same amount of nutrients that you would get at at a Jordan Lake, for example. No, that helps me.
1: And I'm sure there's anglers kind of that was asking that same question. So that's kind of why I
0: wondered about, like, That does not mean that Falls Lake is a bad largemouth fishery because some of the biggest fish I've ever seen have come out of Falls Lake. So I 100% understand that Falls Lake is a good bass fishery, but there's only one other place I've been to where, and it was a very small municipal reservoir that I will not name because it will get flooded with people, but there's only been one other place I've been to where I've been on an electrofishing boat where I was just like almost in awe of how many fish you catch in a hundred foot shoreline. And Jordan is that place. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I can remember working down those island areas outside of Pose Ridge. That was one of our historic sites. Yeah. It's got water willow, which is great cover. And we'd work a mile and a half of that shoreline. This is back when we used to do really long sites and that kind of stuff. And it takes all day. I mean, take us eight to 10 hours to finish the site and work and measure and weigh all the fish and get them back in the water and all that, we'd have to stop multiple times. I mean, you could be on a point, you might catch 30 fish off of that one point. Now, they're not all going to be the same size. They're not all going to be eight pounders, but they're anywhere from a foot long to six pound fish, and you didn't move the boat. You'd have to go back and pick them up because they keep popping up behind you because there's so many of them. Yeah. Like, that's not a real common occurrence when we're electrofishing largemouth. And Jordan Lake is that one place where we see that pretty consistently, I would say, unless it's changed. You see that. And it, I'm giving you one example. You could be in Beaver Creek and it'd be the same way. So it's just one of those places that I just remember thinking, man, there are just so many bass here and it's crazy. I mean, my dad came out with me one time electrofishing just to see it, you know, and he was like, if people knew this, they you couldn't <laughs> keep them off this lake. And I'm like... Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's like, I've never seen this many fish before, and so big. They're all big. <laughs> I was
2: like, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, it's as close as you can get to a lake full of big fish. You know, you always want smaller, younger fish in the lake to be able to replace those older fish as they as they leave the system. But
0: Yeah, the only thing that ever really affects Jordan, in my mind, when it comes to bass, will probably be water level. Yeah. It is a flood control lake, so... There are times we've seen that lake. I know Seth has seen the lake. You know, there are times where you could walk across it because we were in a drought condition year and we didn't have water there. That probably grows big fish because you kind of put all the fish together and there's not a whole lot of places to hide. So you get bigger fish that way because the bait fish are easier to capture. But then there's times where it is... 15 foot above normal level, and it's practically in the parking lots everywhere yeah. at the boat ramps. And yeah. So, now you got fish that are trying to spawn, and that level can fluctuate a lot in a short period of time. They start pushing water out of there, that level can drop really
2: quick. And so, you can strand bass too. Oh, yeah. So, who is they? Yeah, who is they? So, the Army Corps of Engineers owns and manages the dam there at the Everett Jordan Dam. They control all the water level fluctuations and flood control. The number one purpose of the reservoir, the reason it was built, was for flood control of the Hall River and the Cape Fear, eventually the Cape Fear downstream. I've talked to a lot of bass anglers
1: recently. (laughs) Yeah, We went to the probably second largest tournament in the country. So, yeah, we talked to a lot of bass anglers. And one of the things they talked about in being a river biologist now, I remember it from being a biologist in Alabama and talking to, but I haven't done it as much in recent years. But water level is, especially in
2: the spring, is hugely yeah. important. Yeah. And how warm is that water when it's high? Right. Yeah. Because if they've started spawning and it gets high, it could be a bad thing for a largemouth, right? So.
1: Right. Yeah. They want water level at a certain level because yeah. they, they know where the spawning habitat is. But in the really maybe what's one maybe the worst thing is to have it, they start to spawn, and then it drops out. Yeah. You know, they'll still spawn somewhere, but they may not be as successful, and Lord only knows where they'll go. Yeah. You know, so that really kind of impacts your fishing. Yeah. Maybe even the, that recruitment year. Exactly. But if you have stable water, but high cold water, it's kind of tough, too. Yeah. Because they may spawn later in the year, and it, they may not match up as well with some of the forage species at that point, too. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, and. You know, Seth mentioned it, that the Corps of Engineers runs the dam and runs how they measure flow going downstream because we don't want to wash out people downstream if we can help it. That was the whole purpose of the dam when it was initially installed, but that was in 1982. Times have changed. You know, when it first got dammed, it was not known as a water supply lake. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really wasn't. And now there are multiple municipalities that utilize that lake for water supply. So. I say all that to say to anglers. We all kind of get a little wrapped around the axle on water levels and water flow, and and all those kinds of things. You got to remember the water's being utilized for everything that we do, whether it's flushing a toilet or trying to keep people from not being flooded in their homes to fishing or to skiing. There's so many things that it's utilized for, and so. I get that we want the right water level at the right time and the right time of year and all that kind of stuff. And that's great if we can get it, right? You know, it's great when it's perfect, but it's not always going to be perfect. And there are reasons why. They're not doing that to just, well, we don't like bass, and so we're going to nah. flood the reservoir. You know, it's there are reasons why they have to do those kinds of things. And there are people that are relying upon that water both downstream and in the lake to drink water. And there always it's called a guide curve, yeah, and yep. it's basically a plan. Yep,
1: and fisheries resources have been incorporated into that plan to help that. But what I just heard is we always talk about how fish need water. Maybe people need water too. People need water. I'm pretty sure of that.
0: Okay. Yeah. In a lot of
1: ways, fish need water. Check. Yeah. Said it again. I mean, nothing personal. I do want you to take a shower from time to time. So does my wife. <laughs> Maybe more so than you. Probably so. (laughs) Probably so. Lovely woman. Yeah. (laughs) So, Seth, you're on the lake. You're a biologist, the fishing biologist. That's what we're going to call you from this point on. Okay. The bass fishing biologist. Seth,
0: the bass fishing biologist. We're going to get
1: the alliteration going. So, you're the bass fishing biologist. You've studied the lake. You've done the surveys. You've kind of... Seen behind the curtain of the bass population, if you will. You're going to the lake. What's your plan of attack?
2: Yeah, so I've actually fished a lot of our fishing sites and not had as much luck as if I just, you know, try to do what the fish, what I think the fish behavior might be at the time. So I think there is a little bit of overlap, but not as much as you would think. Definitely as far as the area of the lake goes, once we've surveyed a lake, we know the general areas, like Corey was saying about upstream of uh, the Farrington Bridge there, we know there is to stay out of. So maybe that's an area I wouldn't fish in my personal boat. I wouldn't go up there, especially in the spring. And we also get a look at the forage too when we're out there so I can really tune in on what's in the lake at the time and really choose my lures based on... The shad colors that we're seeing and things like that. I'll agree with Seth in the fact that a lot of people might think that
1: we have this, well, you surveyed the lake, so now you should be able to go out and catch 10-pounders relatively easier than other people anyway. Doesn't happen. And it sometimes... That's a lie. When you try to relate what the fish are doing compared to the shock boat versus compared to fishing, Yeah, it's a different world. It is. And primarily because when we're fishing, we're looking for feeding fish. Yeah. When you're shocking, it doesn't matter if they're feeding or not. Exactly. So those fish may be doing something else, and you get to see them. Yeah. But if you were fishing, you might not get to see them.
0: There's a place on Jordan Lake, I know there's bass, because there's been bass there historically. It's in White Oak Creek. There's been bass there every time I've been there. I mean— numerous amounts of bass there and it's a spot that should hold bass all the time. I can go there and fish and I ain't going to catch one. Yeah. I mean, it's just like I mean, turn around and shock yeah. it and they might be there. Oh, they will be there. Right. Like, I know they're there. Like, I know for a fact those fish have not, they're there at some point in the day, right? Uh-huh. Generally in the morning is when they're generally there and it's a habitat structure that would hold, fit that you and I and Seth would all agree holds fish. People are going, yeah, I know where this is. <laughs> and I can go there and I can't catch one of them. So, being a good fish biologist does not make you a great fisherman, no. as you've seen
2: being on your boat with me.
1: So, no comment.
0: <laughs>
2: we know all about population dynamics and all the estimates and metrics, but when it comes to fish behavior, I'm not, not a fish behavior expert by no means. <laughs> and I think some of the best fishermen understand behavior really well. Feeding behavior. Yeah. Like,
1: that's one of the interesting things. They understand... How to make, you know, good fishermen understand two things. They understand how to find feeding fish. They know when to move. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I used to duck hunt with an old guy and he said, if I had a superpower, it would be to know when it was the last duck. And the same thing with fishing. I want to know when I get my last bite so I know when to move. That would be amazing superpower yeah. to have. But also, like how to get those reaction bites. So, yeah. that's not something you can learn on the front of a shop boat. You no. can learn where fish sit,
2: exactly what they do,
1: that kind of thing. And sometimes that helps, but you really
2: have to fish to figure out how to fish. There's no substitute for time on the water. No, no, no. We can know the, the hot areas or the little the creeks that might be the best creeks on the lake. But when it comes to throwing lures at them to get them in, in the boat out. So, if you go back
0: to Ben's original question. If you were going out on Jordan in the spring of the year when it's right, say we're at the peak of the spawn or whatever, mm-hmm. what lures are you using? What are you focused on? Because you catch fish there. So what lures do you use? What area, not not necessarily like name of area, but what type of habitat are you focused on that you're trying to catch
2: fish out of? You don't have to give us your secret <laughs> yeah, hole. You got to give us your secret hole. Yeah, rocks, for me, rocks and little boulder piles have been really important at Jordan. So... Dragging a jig by the. And they're not as abundant as people think they are no. on Jordan. No, and there might be, you know, there might be a whole string of them, but you got to find the right little stretch to be on. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. So, so you said jig, a jig and a chatterbait at Jordan. I'm sure is no surprise. There's good fish that'll eat a chatterbait on that lake. But believe it or not, I've never caught one over four and a half pounds at Jordan. That's okay. Some of the smaller lakes, I've had much more success with the big six, seven-pound fish. Yeah. Which is probably just because they're, they're a little easier to figure out. There's not as much water to cover.
1: So, you say chatterbait. Is there, I mean, so we've talked about shad. Are you, like, throwing a
2: white chatterbait or? Yeah. Yeah, when the water's cold, I think you want to mimic those shad mm-hmm. or And then as it heats up, you know, the crawfish might start coming out, especially around those rocks. Sure. Then you might want to change to more of a yeah. brownish crawl color. A darker color when they're yeah. eating in on that. Especially around yeah. around rocks. Yeah. yeah. Those causeways, I think the fish that are around those riprap, you know, the sixty four causeway and all those causeways, they're eating probably shad and crayfish. We've had
0: a lot of take home messages on this podcast. One was fish need water. They do. What was the other one we had? I can't remember now. It was another one we had a previous podcast. I can't remember. Well, here's another one. Fish riprap. Yeah. Fish causeways. Yeah. If you're a bass fisherman For the love of Pete, fish causeway. If you're new and you see some riprap, it's
1: worth a little time. It is worth
0: the time because just because it holds a lot of bait fish, those predators just sit off the end of that and just sit there. I mean, I can't tell you, and the two guys in the room know this, every causeway we ever electrofish is loaded with whatever the predator is in the lake. There's just fish all over it. Now we don't always catch them because sometimes causeways are really deep and our gears limited. Yeah. But generally there will be predators
2: on those causeways. So if you see riprap, fish it. Yeah. Now I think there's a switch at Jordan, right? So at the minute they think about spawning, that water gets right temperature for spawning, I think they they leave that stuff. I agree with that. They do leave it to go spawn, but
0: but as soon as that is over, they come right back to it. They utilize it a lot for feeding. We just talked about Learning how they feed, learning when they feed, that kind of thing in terms of getting, being more successful at catching a fish. They're feeding on causeways. They're feeding on riprap.
2: Yeah. And the creeks are set up great for that, at Jordan, especially White Oak. It's got, you know, the big riprap causeway right down the middle of it. Yep. Stop there on the way in, stop on the way out.
0: Yep. Good points.
1: As a general rule, as fishermen, we fish for spawning fish because we can find them and that gives them easier, or we're looking for feeding fish. And those are the two behaviors seem to congregate fish or make fish easier to find so yeah. if you're looking for bait you're looking for the habitat that bait wants and riprap is definitely in that window yeah and i was talking to a buddy of mine not too long ago if you find fish and they're not at the dinner table it doesn't really help you but so much you That's gotta right. find fish at the dinner table ready to eat
0: so one of the last things that i wanted to cover with you seth is that we as fisheries managers get this thrown at us at about every meeting we go to. We want bigger fish, and we want more of them, right? I would like
1: bigger fish and more of them.
0: And that kind of holds true at a place like Jordan, where we talked about, it's just a fish factory, and it's really hard to slow them down. You get this bigger fish, and really what seems like more of them, yes. you know, it kind of holds true. You do kind of get that. You get yep. that with the crap, you get that with a largemouth. But I would say, and Y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I would say that you really can't have that everywhere you go. I want that. I want that, but you really can't have that. Can you maybe touch on why some lakes are big bass lakes? And I can think of some in D5 that are big bass lakes but don't have a lot of them. And then there's some lakes that are a lot of bass and
2: not very big bass lakes. Can you touch on that just a little bit? Yeah. So, some of that could be spawning habitat where there's not a lot of spawning habitat available. In the lake, but in the smaller lakes where there is, you know, everything a largemouth needs, it's got a place to spawn, it's got food to eat. I think we get, you know, an overabundance of fish in those lakes and they could use some fish leaving the system for the average size to get larger.
0: Yeah. And there's examples of that in District Five. I think of Lake Kamak, yeah. You know, exactly. north of
2: Burlington. Yeah. I
0: think of uh, Holt Lake out near Butner. Yeah. You know, those were kind of the two that stick out in my mind right off the bat. But there's lakes all over the state that are like that where, we have talked forever. We were taught as kids with bass, you know, Ray Scott and BASS talked about catch and release, catch and release. And that's like, I'm not knocking that at all. So please don't take it that way. Don't write me. Don't call me. I believe in catch and release. I believe in catch and eat too. But there are times when you get those really small systems that, you know, that catch and release motto where you never harvest a bass, you are just piling them in. Yeah. We talked about this on podcast with other anglers. It's just think of it as as cows in a pasture. Yeah. You can only put so many cows on that pasture. And if you keep putting cows and you don't grow the pasture and you don't take cows off the pasture, eventually you're going to run out of food. Yeah. And I think that's what you see with bass. And if I could tell bass anglers anything, when you're on a lake like that, that has smaller, if you want bigger bass, that's key.
2: Do you as anglers want bigger bass? Some people don't, right? That's right. Some of the good lakes, you know, if you like catching 40 fish a day, those those overabundant lakes are... Or
0: the place to go. Yeah. And I will also say, ah, this was our second motto and it just came back to me. Not every lake is meant to be everything to all fish. That's right. We have said that. And so not every lake is meant to be a great bass lake. Yeah. One, it's limited by spawning habitat a lot of times. Two, it could be limited by forage. There's a lot of things that could cause those issues. And I think if you look at short of an introduction or largemouth bass fires, short of Alabama bass coming in or largemouth bass fires, if you look at lakes over the last 40 years, and we got data on some of these lakes for 40 years plus. Yep. If you look at the data, those bass populations are fairly stable. They are what they are. You know, they kind of ebb and flow a little bit. And Jordan's kind of on a climb. If it could be on a climb in terms of the big bass, you know, those eight, nine, 10 pounders. But in general, bass populations of all the fish that we deal with, bass populations are probably one of the most stable fisheries you will find. If it's grown little fish and a lot of them forever, guess what? It's probably going to grow little fish and a lot of them. It's just the way the lake is set up.
1: It's not going to shift in 10 years to be like the no, trophy and fishery. The only
0: way to shift it is if everybody that went there got in mind that we're going to harvest every bass that we catch until yeah. we turn this around. And, but you're going to have less of them. You know, you're not going to have those 40 fish days if you do that. You might have a 10 fish day and you might catch a five pounder or a six pound. See, that's one of the unique things to me about bass management in the Piedmont is that they are fairly stable fisheries in North Carolina. I don't know about the mountain region as much, but in the central part of the state, those fisheries look the same as they looked, give or take a little bit, pretty much the same for the last 30 to 40 years.
2: Yeah. Would you say that's true? Yeah. He digs into data a lot more than I do, so yeah. he knows. Like, we might occasionally get some of the giant fish come through the system, right? There might be a few more of those, like what we're seeing at Jordan right now, I think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those quality fish, those four to five pounders at a good lake like Jordan, there's just consistency through time. Yeah. And that's what I've seen, too.
1: I would agree with that. I think I saw some of our, even coastal rivers... And some even some of the like Picosan and coastal mm-hmm, bay lakes mm-hmm. perform some of them Lake Phelps is a good example. if you want to catch a five pound bass, it's a great place to go. yep, it's never been a ten pound bass lake, but what it produces has been
2: very consistent over my entire career, yeah, yeah, and it's cool to have those options, especially in district Five. we've got lakes across the board. You know, we got the stunted lakes where you can go catch 40 fish and then we got all the way up to Jordan where you can potentially catch a 40-pound stringer. So,
0: I think of back in my D5 days, you think of those Greensboro Lakes, the Higgins, the Branton, the Townsend, they're all in a line on Reedy Creek. Yeah. So they're not very big. They're municipal reservoirs, but they're all three so different. Yeah. Like Higgins is kind of the is the smallest, but it's kind of the quintessential bass fishery. You get kind of all-size classes. You can get a big fish every once in a blue moon, but there's pretty good in the middle, and there's some little ones. And then you move downstream to Brant, and Brant back then, I don't know if it is now or not, it's probably changed because the fisheries changed a little bit. I just said they don't change, but this one may have because the activity is a little different yeah. now. It was a lot like a mini Jordan. It could grow three to six-pound fish like crazy. I mean, it was just they were everywhere, and it's, we're only talking, what, maybe five 600 acres, maybe at the most at Brown? I don't even know. It's not very big. No, it's, it's not, not big at all. all. Higgins yeah. is like 200 and something, and then when you get down to Townsend, which is the biggest of the three, you were lucky to really, like, see 40 fish in a sight. Yeah. Like, they were just rare to see a bass, but when you saw a bass... It was a honker. I mean, it'd be an 8, 9, 10-pound fish, and then you see a lot of little fish. You know, you yep. might see a 6, 8-inch bass mixed in with them, but, like, there was none of this three, four, five, six. And I'm, and I'm not saying that they don't exist, so don't call me, but I'm talking about in just general numbers, and they're so different, you know, and that's my whole point of that conversation of not every lake's the same and not every lake is going to be great at what you think it should be great at you kind of yeah. have to live a little bit with what they got we can manipulate it some as resource managers but bass is probably the toughest of all the animals to manipulate one because of angler behavior yeah really and truly the catch and release ethic and two i just think it's just their biology they're just once they've kind of establish what they're going to be in a reservoir, they're kind of hard to get off of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fertility in the forage base is going to dictate That's right. kind of what comes out of it, and it's very hard to influence
0: those variables. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like people say to me all the time, Lake Norman, for example, Lake Norman should grow this, and it's usually like a really big whatever. Yeah. Lake Norman's not going to do that. It doesn't have the fertility to do that. It is a... Gen clear, low productivity lake, and fancy science word, science nerd moment, it's a ligotrophic, yeah. Meaning that you can see, you know, in some places you can see 10, 12 feet down at times in yeah. that lake. And meanwhile, at Jordan. Meanwhile, at Jordan, you can't, if you went under the water, you cannot see your hand up against your yeah. nose. You can't, can't see down. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and that's the difference. And so, that's the difference in Jordan being a fish factory and Norman not being a fish factory. And we as managers have to balance all of that, you know? And it's hard for anglers at times to get that in their minds that it's not going to be perfect everywhere I go. Yeah. Right. So we've talked a lot about Jordan
1: because this is a Jordan Lake Jordan podcast. I don't want you guys that are listening to think, okay, well, I'm wasting my time if I don't go to Jordan now because there (laughs) are great fisheries in your backyard.
0: We're just highlighting Jordan today. So we're
1: talking about Jordan. We like Jordan. It's got a special place to us here at the table. Uh-huh. It's got a special place to a lot of bass anglers, but it's not the only place where there's quality no. bass fishery. No. And I have always said the best place to fish is the place that's the closest. That's because right. Because you're yeah. going to learn more about that fishery, and you will be able to pull out quality fish. Yep even if it doesn't hit the average because you've
2: spent more time there. Because you could go to Jordan and be skunked. Yeah. At the end of May, I don't want to go to Jordan late because they have been, that's where the pressure kicks in at Jordan, where they right. have been tournaments all spring tournament long. Tournament postponed. Everybody's been going out there all spring, and they are done with you for a while. So, yeah, Jordan's not my favorite place. Sounds like a man speaking after from the, experience. After
0: <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like
2: maybe a tournament went awry <laughs>
0: Yeah anyone <laughs> <laughs> anyone anyone no but that's so true though and you've said this time and time again ben go someplace close yeah so you can learn to think like a fish to be honest right by all means
1: visit jordan fish yeah. it but yeah. don't feel like if i don't fish whatever lakes behind my house well i must have to go to jordan now no that's yeah. not what we're saying i mean i
0: like fishing jordan but i Generally, go to Grand Mebbin because it's right down the street. That's mm-hmm. right. It's ease of access and mm-hmm. it's not, and I mean, it's a good lake to fish. It's got good bass in it. I mean, yeah, that's just what I do. Yeah.
1: So, no, I just love Jordan, but I want people to know these opportunities are everywhere.
0: Yeah. That's right. Is it question time? It could be. I think it should be. We
1: want some questions. So, yeah. So, you guys have been emailing us questions at two bald biologists. At ncwildlife.org. It's been a lot of fun. It allows me to see what you guys have questions about, what you guys feel is important, what are some of like the issues that maybe I didn't realize were issues. Even folks are sending me fish pictures and talking about fish and and so it's really cool. And it gives us another window, another line of communication with our anglers. So it's been a lot of fun if you give us your address and we use your email here on the podcast we'll probably send you a little decal or something i'm not up to snuff so if i owe you a decal you can email me at twoballbiologist at uh, ncwildlife.org and give me all our time Let's say
0: where is my decal Yeah,
1: say where's my decal and we'll figure it out so mm. i know where it is it's probably at my desk still <laughs> but i'll get it to you so you can put it wherever you'd like to put it but We've got some great questions this week. I'm going to skip around. I'm going to ask a Jordan-centric question
2: first because we've got Seth's all over (laughs) Mr. Lake Jordan here. Yes, we do. Bass fishing biologist. The three-pound bass catching. I can't catch him over three right now.
0: Man's telling (laughs) us why he's not the...
2: Anyway. It was still a bass, though, so...
0: I can 15-pound him. He doesn't quite fit in. This man's got more hair. We gotta shave his head. We gotta shave his <laughs> head. He's got more hair. And he just cut his hair because it was a lot longer than it is. I mean, he looks like, so I say this about him all the time and I'm just picking at him. He looks like the cowardly lion <laughs> from The Wizard of Oz. And that's what I call him. I call him the cowardly lion. He's not, not cowardly at all. Now he's the best fishing biologist. Yeah. He is, man's got some hair. Yeah. I'm a little jealous. That's why I make fun of it, because I am jealous of it.
1: a long way to go in terms of hair loss. <laughs> yeah. To fill when Corey retires. <laughs> to
0: fill my shoes. Yeah. So. All right.
1: We can do it. You just have to hold him down.
0: Goals that you need to set for yourself. Okay. Hair loss starting right now. <laughs> okay. So you can make your way, because I ain't got that much longer. So okay. <laughs> by that time, maybe you'll be ready. Think.
1: Maybe we'll have to change it to one bald guy and... <laughs> The bass fishing (laughs) biologist. Okay. We'll just, yeah, we'll call him that. Baldy and the bass fishing biologist. There you go. There you go. I have to review that. that with our marketing folks and see what they think. There you go. All right. Mr. Joel says, in regards to Lake Jordan and hybrids, two part question Do we stock hybrids in Jordan? No. No. There are striped bass in there, right, Corey? There are. And there used to be hybrids in there. There
2: used to be. right? Yes. Yep. And we quit many, many years ago.
1: And we may pick up hybrids in the future. Maybe. There's discussions about that. That's true. So That's right. But we're talking about stripers, we're talking about hybrids, what have you. The question is, do they make a false spawning run up the Hall River?
0: Hmm. I have not witnessed that. I'm not saying that they wouldn't. I would definitely say probably during a higher flow year, they probably have the tendency to do that. And then I'll let Seth answer it. Certain reservoirs are set up differently. Yeah, yeah. and it's a really different lake. The river comes in off to the side of the main body of the lake. So, if there's fish in the river, so if you ever look at Jordan Lake, it's really weird how it's set up. Usually, the river comes in at the upper end of the lake, and the river comes in at the southern end of the lake at Jordan, which Mm -hmm. is really different. The lake kind of sets off into the New Hope Creek part of the system. So if there are fish in the river, I would say, yeah, they probably do make that spawn and run. I wasn't around when hybrids were there, so I'll say that up front. And hybrids are, as we've established on the podcast, are crossed with white bass. And white bass do make that run. Oh yeah. We do know that for a fact. In fact, white bass make a run to just about every flowing little creek on the lake. So if you go to the back of Morgan Creek or back of New Hub Creek or some of these little side places that go off to impoundments and as far up as they can go, there's white bass in there that are feeding. So, and they go up the Hall River too. They go all the way to Bynum yep. on the Hall River. So, in my mind, the hybrids probably would do the same things because there's a lot of white bass in them. I've never seen striped bass making spawning migrations up the river, but I, I mean, no. And I'll add one more thing. The hard part about that is, is that we as biologists cannot really get to, particularly on the Hall River where I think stripers would go, we really can't get to that area because it is super rocky. Mm-hmm. Like our boats really can't really leave the reservoir. As soon as you get a quarter mile upstream the, of the Hall River above the lake, it gets so rocky, it, there's falls. I mean, there's basically falls, and so we can't do anything. That doesn't mean that the fish can't get beyond that. yeah. It just, we can't get beyond it. But I do know why bass do do it. So So as
1: a person who grew up fishing for stripers and hybrids in reservoirs, from what you're telling me, my time is best spent trying to track down chat and fishing around them.
0: I would say so, yes. Okay, that's good to know. And I would say the stripers that are left there, we haven't stocked stripers there in what? Three years. 2020 was the last summer. Generally, the striped bass... When they were being stocked in there, and the ones that are still there are generally in that kind of, what would you say, below White Oak Creek? Yeah. Yeah, down towards the river. So, in the lower two-thirds of the lake, really, is where those stripers are, which is the deeper water, yeah, sure. as you would expect. And you can catch them practically year-round. The reason we don't stock them anymore just for people at home is we just had really, really poor survivability yeah. with stripers. We had a fish kill in what year was that 2014 2011
2: 2012 20... 2012 okay yeah. i'll
0: take your word for it i can't remember i <laughs> think i was working then but i don't i just don't remember the dates now i'm getting old that really put a hurting on stripers and we'd never been able
2: to recover a fishery since then yeah and i'm not sure exactly why that is but they just never bounced back they
0: never bounced back we kept stocking them and they just never really did anything after that fish kill was over
1: well, like you said, not every lake is everything. Amen. And maybe that's an example. Yeah, that's a good example. That's though. a great example. So the next question is from Mr. Mayo. He's like, why do I have to take all this scent with me and spray on everything? It gets a mess. You know, it just makes my tackle box stink. Makes me stink. I'm talking about me now. I don't know what Mr. Mayo smells like. But scent in fishing. And we got three fishermen sitting at the table here. And we'll, maybe we'll defer this one
2: to Seth. What do you think your role is in scent in your tackle box? I use it when I'm trying to cast as close to that fish as I think I can get. So I use it on my worms and stuff like that. But if I'm throwing a bait that maybe they have to chase down a little more, they're not scoping out and investigating before they bite it, then I'm not going to... Use a lot of scent. I put, do you use it all the time when you're fishing those kinds of baits, or do you just use it at certain times? Yeah, I tend to use it more in summertime. Granted, I'm throwing a lot more worms and jigs when the water's mm-hmm. warmer anyhow, but I tend to use it more in summer. I tend to agree.
1: I don't feel that in the wintertime, scent is as big of a, of a variable. I have used some scent in the wintertime, but really, I may not use scent at all. For months. And then one day I may squirt a little bit on there and catch a few fish, and I might use it for two weeks. Yeah. And then I might not use it again for
0: months. Yeah. I'm very sporadic about my use as well.
1: However, I do use a lot of gulp, which is pre squirted. Yeah. Yeah. Built in squirt. Yeah. Especially for certain fish during certain times of the year. And so I do think warmer months, that scent is more variable, but it also depends on. The type of bite you're going for. If you're looking for that split second reaction bite, yeah, scent's not gonna matter. If you're in really clear water, scent probably is not gonna matter nah. as much as if you're in dirty water because yeah. they're using their eyes more to feed yeah. than their their other senses. So, again, we kind of talked about this in the last one. It's your tackle box. If you don't want to use scent, don't, don't use it. If you do, do. It's just a tool. And it's up to you and your fishing style to decide how to use it.
0: And I generally keep my scent stuff away from everything else because it's inevitably going to leak out when it gets hot yeah. and get into everything. So I yeah. generally keep it in a place that's away from all my other baits. I just keep it separate and only use it when I feel like I need to because it does make a mess and it does yeah. stink. I think when you're
1: fishing, though, sometimes, especially if they're grabbing it and letting go real quick, Mm-hmm. And I also don't even think that it matters what it's tastes like. like. Yeah. It tastes like garlic, banana, anise, crawfish, mm-hmm. shad, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it tastes like as much as it matters that it has a taste yeah. in my opinion. They'll bite it. They'll taste it. They may hold on to it a second longer. Maybe that'll give you that moment or two extra to set that hook. I mean, I
0: know yeah. that if the company even listens, which they don't, they probably get mad at me, but Procurers got like I don't need how many cents they have. I just buy a bottle of it and use it, whatever it yeah. is. I don't really pay attention to cents. Should I be paying attention to cents? Not based on what I just said.
2: Well, if everybody else is using it, maybe you don't want to use it. Or maybe I do. <laughs> if it's working, <laughs> if everybody else is using it, it's working. Why would yeah. I do something else? <laughs> and I've said
1: this before in other places it works great until it doesn't, or yeah. you don't yeah. need it until you do.
0: That's
2: right. Yeah,
1: that's right. And there's no real right or wrong in that. It's all about what you want to do. If it gives you a little bit of confidence, yeah. if it gives you a little bit of boost, put Elmer's glue on it if you think yeah. it'll catch you a fish.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like golf, you know. If that's your pre-cast routine to spray some scent on your lure, maybe that'll make you a better fisherman just like some of the golfers have like a whole pre-golf routine that they do every time. So for me with scent, I think the take-home message
1: is sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it matters what flavor, though, for myself, and in the, yeah. and what I've seen. So, yeah, I don't know. Okay, the next question. This one fall well to Corey. The question was about Lake Norman from
0: Mister Kevin. Hmm. Are fish safe to eat in Lake Norman? So, we at the Wildlife Commission, we do not handle fish health advisories. That is handled by the Department of Health and Human Services. And so, I would advise you to go to. Their website, they have a listing of all bodies of water. They have a listing of the fish you can and cannot eat. They have a listing of how many ounces you can eat in a given day or something of that nature. So that's, that's where I would tell you first. I do know at Lake Norman, the hybrids, basically the predators that get to be large sizes or predators that live a long period of time, like bass, hybrid striped bass, catfish species, they do have an advisory. doesn't mean you can't eat them, but you can only eat certain amounts per month or per week or ever how they have it listed. And I will tell you, we've worked with them to collect fish. We've talked to them about how they do advisories. They do advisories, and that advisory is like, they're doing the maximum protection. And I'm not telling you not to ignore their advisories. What I'm telling you is, if they say you can eat that much, then you can eat that much. Sure. That's my point. If you see an advisory, that doesn't mean that fish is off limits. They've put that advisory out to the maximum point to protect human health as much as possible. I know that for a fact on hybrids, because some hybrids don't test as high based on size. Some hybrids do test. you know, it just depends on the size of the fish or whatever. And that's true for a lot of different species. So at the end of the day, I've eaten a lot of fish out of Lake Norman, whether it be spotted bass or hybrid striped bass, or I haven't eaten a largemouth. I've eaten catfish out of Lake Norman, but I do follow what they say. So. That's what I would tell you to do, and that's true across the state. Yeah,
1: so you can look up North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, and you can look up consumption advisories. They'll have it mapped out in a very meticulous way, and that's the best place. We help them with fish samples from time to time.
0: There's different things. There's different things that could, you know, like right now, a hot-button topic is PFOS in the Cape Fear. That's a kind of an unknown thing because it's kind of new to most people, but the Department of Health and Human Services is studying that and trying to figure out what the right things are to do. But across the state, you know, there's mercury advisories everywhere because we naturally have mercury in our environment. It's not that the mercury's coming from some source, per se. You know, there's this thing called methylmercury that's just in our sediment. But there's also dioxins and PCBs and that kind of stuff that did come from us, you know, come from humans at some point in time. Sure. So just be aware, just read up on it. And just follow the advisories, and and you'll be fine.
1: Well said, as far as I'm concerned. When people call me, that's almost exactly what I say. So, Seth, do we need to know anything else about Lake Jordan before we cut you loose?
2: Just know that it's probably not going to change. Like Corey alluded to earlier, it's... His management is here to stay. Yeah. (laughs) It has (laughs) been a good lake. I mean, you know, we might have some variability here and there throughout the years, but... Largemouth fishery at Jordan has been steady eddy and probably will continue to be a great lake. I like the sounds of that. I do
0: too. Thanks, Seth, for being here. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And if people want to know how to bass fish in the Piedmont region, I'd suggest reaching out to Seth. Yeah. If you see me at a boat ramp, feel free to stop. Yep. If- Seth fishes a lot, a lot more than I do. <laughs> he fishes probably about as much as Ben does, or maybe just a little bit less than Ben. And so Seth's on the water a lot, and he's real connected with bass anglers. Right now, he fishes way more than Ben does. (laughs) Yeah. But I say that to say he's really connected with the bass anglers in our bass community, which is a great thing. And I love it about Seth, that he wants to have that connection with our anglers. And so reach out to Seth, ask questions. If he doesn't know the answer, he can get you in touch with the right people. If you don't know how to get in touch with Seth, you can contact us at 2 Biologists at ncwildlife.org. But Seth, thanks so much for being here today.
2: Appreciate you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission's podcast, Better Fishing with Two Bald Biologists. For more information, please visit ncwildlife.org or email us at biologists at ncwildlife.org.